This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Earlier in March, Sarawak Assemblyman Dennis Ngau claimed that logging in Ulubaram, which is over in Miri, was welcomed by Indigenous communities and did not harm their way of life. So this was swiftly refuted by Indigenous land right defenders, including Save Rivers and Karuan, who criticised the Assemblyman's comments, saying that it demonstrated a real lack of understanding of the issues and needs on the ground. So today on the show, I'm joined by Celine Lim. She is the Managing Director of Save Rivers. Uh, I'm just going to ask her for a sort of a clearer picture of the situation on the ground and whether Indigenous communities in Ulubaram have indeed benefited from logging, as claimed by the authorities. Celine is in the studio with me today. Welcome. How are you today? Hi, Juliet. Uh, thank you for having me here. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> Always good to speak to you. And of course, the best thing is you're in KL, so you're right here in the mm-hmm, studio. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, very different from our usual Zoom interviews. But welcome. Welcome to KL and welcome to BFM. How's everything going? Good. Uh, I mean, thank you again for having me here. It's it's, oh, it's just wonderful to be able to see you in person also. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess just want to just say thank you also to BFM to always, uh, you have always given us that platform to actually just bring our story from the ground up. And I think this is where I just wanted to focus that um, even for Safe Rivers, our, our narrative has always been very community-based. So even when you're talking about uh, the Assemblyman's claim, I know you asked me how I am, but I cannot I cannot divorce it from uh, my work. Uh, but I'm just going to even uh, just give you a little gl- glimpse of even how life is at, at, in Baram area. Mm. So first and foremost, I am Indigenous as well. I yeah. come from Baram. Uh, the area of my work-focused area would be in Ulu Baram, which is also known as Upper Baram. So Baram is this 2 million hectares uh, area. Uh, all the Orang Ulu, this is in Sarawak, uh, would call Baram as their home. This is where we come from uh, by ethnicity, uh, our culture, everything that we, everything that makes us Orang Ulu uh, is attributed to where we come from in Baram. Okay. So you have these 2 million hectares. It's around 69,000 uh, communities. You have a mix of the Kenya, the Kayan, the Klabit, the Penan, the Saban, Lunbawang, and, and all, right? So... This is this is Baram. So the the reason why I wanted to focus on this area is because even until today, um, this area is supposedly a very special area to us Orang Ulu, which we are the majority in in Sarawak. Okay. So it is such a special area. But until today, <laughs> until today, the reality here is we are also one of the most underserved and marginalized area. Uh, and I speak this on on the perspective of even development. Okay. Uh, we in in this area of two million hectares, you have uh, 40, 50, 60 uh, communities living there, coming from all the different ethnicity uh, or Orang Ulu ethnicity. But yet we don't have an accessible road, mm-hmm. right? So for us to even go up, like I, we do this every month for Safe Rivers, we would we would travel up to Ulu Baram. It would take us an hour and a half on. Tar Road, right? The ordinary Tar Road. And then it will take us at least six to seven hours on our four by four. Some uh, sectors would call this development because in the past we would have to use boat. It take us two to three days and all. But I'm also coming from this perspective that it's been, uh, it's been around, what, 40 years, 50 years? But yet we're still accessing our area through logging roads, mm-hmm. you know, and the you back, yeah, the question 
that comes out from this whole situation here is why is it our area in particular does not even have this basic infrastructure amenities. And it is something, in again, um, I would say it is something that should be uh, considered as basic amenities, mm -hmm. basic rights. So here again, 2 million hectares of beautiful uh, rainforest, richly uh, uh, biodiverse area. And yet we are really one of the most underserved. And because we don't have, uh, we have such a lack of accessibility, I can't even start talking about uh, clean water system okay. or even waste management because, again, accessibility is such a lack in our area. Mm -hmm. So I think this is where I would come from on that perspective that uh, it is not a romanticised situation. It is a reality to a lot of our uh, Orang Ulu communities that do live in Baram, that have, to, uh, that have to go up and down Baram using that road every time and it is, again, it begs the question, why are we still using logging road when it is an area where we attribute our origin to? It is an area that is still inhabited by uh, by so many people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay, and so this goes back to what uh, the Assemblyman was saying, right? He said that uh, the, the logging in the area um, was very welcomed by the communities, right? I guess, you know, his point is without even that, then you wouldn't even have these logging roads. You'd still be travelling, what, two, three days, as you said, right? But I, I, we, I think we both agree that that's not the point. The point is, why is the gov state government itself not, you know, catering to the needs of the people there? Mm -hmm. uh, can you also talk to us a little bit about how the landscape has changed uh, because of the logging? How, how, how widespread or how big are these sorts of logging projects in the area as well? Of course, uh, I, I do want to I do want to talk about certain uh, changes that has happened also within that landscape. Okay. Probably thirty twenty years ago, um, the the way that this has been uh, the way that this industry operated in Baram has always been through maybe uh, logging license and logging concession. It's only now that we we are moving towards. Uh, certification, mm. right? And I think the good thing, at least the positive thing about certification is the fact that there is an international standard and a scheme that we are able to somehow uh, somehow base the process on, right? Okay. So, right. I mean, there could be, we could call it check and balance or whatever, but at least there is something even for the public that we're able to really assess whether or not this processes are are based on those schemes okay. because those schemes are made available. So probably that is also the change in, in direction when it comes to the uh, timber industry, even in our area, right? Okay. Uh, so yes, it has definitely changed the landscape uh, because we are again in a in a transitional time where we are moving again from from how it was done in the past to where it's heading now, maybe towards sustainable are logging through certification, right? Uh, but at the end of the day too, I think in so many ways, because there have been quite a loaded history uh, uh, from the past. So even from the communities, and I remembered also reading uh, the article uh, and the statement by our assemblyman that says that, yeah, there are people who benefited from, from the logging industry. That one, we do agree because I also know families that were able to send their kids to school because they were they were part of the, the logging industry, you know, and, and they, they had work. They were able, yeah, they were able to feed their families. Uh, but also at the end, I think the question that we have always brought forth was, if given the choice, 
uh, would our communities really choose this particular industry? If they were given options uh, to really design mm -hmm. the kind of economical resources that comes from their area, uh, how many, I mean, there's no official survey or anything, but how many of us would actually say that, that yeah, uh, we would go into the timber industry, right. you know? So if there was some alternate option, would our communities have chosen those alternate options? Because I think down the line, what you need to understand too is that we were at a place where we didn't necessarily have a lot of options. And when you have to feed your family, you kind of understand why they would choose that certain route, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I think that's also one particular aspect of this discourse that we need to really understand. So I'm not undermining communities or members of communities that have really, you know, like feed the family, send the children to school, um, build their lives around having jobs and, and being employed by the timber industry. But if you really ask the indigenous people, what would they have chosen as their source of income if given other options? You might be surprised at how uh, sustainable their answers are because of their connections to their land and the connection to to their uh, forests, you mm -hmm, know. So mm -hmm. I guess this is where I would like to really focus on is, is not... It's not what we are saying that, no, it's totally, they didn't, you know, they didn't have an eco economical uh, viability, the industry. But also, at the end of the day, were our community given any other options besides the routes that were placed before them? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so were there, was there sort of like engagement? Was there uh, consent? Was there uh, a free and prior and informed consent, right? Mm -hmm. Was there any of that, right? Yeah, I mean... Again, it all depends on who's your, who you're talking, who you're talking to. to. Okay, okay. So I, at least uh, from our community's perspective, they, they have uh, already mentioned over and over again that they were not part of this major uh, decision-making process on what is happening to their area, uh, what, what efforts is being done. And yes, so uh, I would say it is definitely, there is definitely a lack of free, prior and informed uh, consent. Uh, consent. This consultation process, yes, there is a lack. Okay, all right. Um, let's just go for a quick break, Celine. When we come back, I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, the loss of habitat, you know, and this is, a, you know, it's a primary threat to biodiversity in Sarawak as well, right? So uh, let's talk a little bit about that after this quick break. I'm speaking today to Celine Lim. She's the Managing Director of Safe Rivers. We're talking about logging in Baram. Um, beneficial to whom exactly? You know, we're trying to find out. Uh, this is, you know, in response to Sarawak Assemblyman Dennis Ngao claiming that logging in Ulu Baram uh, was welcomed by Indigenous communities and did not harm their way of life. We're just exploring that. We'll have more after this quick break. Keep it right here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Judith Jacobs. With me in the studio today is Celine Lim. She's the Managing Director of Save Rivers, uh, which is an NGO based over in Sarawak. Uh, Celine, how would you describe the work that uh, Save Rivers does? Uh, amazing. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, okay, again, for... I think I'm coming from this uh, uh, position of being indigenous myself. So for me personally, it is a very, uh, it is a very personal 
uh, thing uh, that I get to do through my work. And uh, like I say, I think to anyone that has that has been to Ulu Baram or Baram uh, in general, uh, it's always it's always feels like it's a revival of your soul and your spirit every single time you go in, right? Uh, and I think it is really from that platform that you really you have really learned to love your roots and who you are and your people. And I feel like I have an opportunity to actually uh, express that love through the work that I do, mm-hmm. you know. So so I think um, first and foremost, I am Indigenous. I am Kayan and I will always be proud to be one. And to be able to actually express that through my work, uh, it's it's really amazing. And the fact that, again, we interact with, with our communities at uh, at, at constant basis, mm. uh, that that has been amazing. Like for me, I I feel like I'm learning uh, I'm learning so much about my communities and our practices and and our ancestral wisdom uh, even more now. You know, there's always something new to learn and and it's very humbling. It's mm-hmm. a very humbling mm-hmm. uh, vocation and and I'm I feel like I'm definitely uh, have been super privileged to be able to do this despite, you know, despite some of the challenges. So, yes. And there are many, uh, which we can't really talk about, but there are many challenges, of course. And I mean, basically, you know, Save Rivers, you know, you've been uh, empowering Indigenous communities, right? You've been, prote- you know, to protect their lands, their rivers, their watersheds. That's the very basis of mm-hmm. um, the work that you guys do. And, uh, you know, you, you are joining us today to sort of like uh, discuss some claims that were made by Sarawak Assemblyman Dennis Ngao, who said that uh, logging in Ulubaram uh, was welcomed by Indigenous communities. It did not harm their way of life. Um, and, you know, you pointed out uh, before the break that what is development, right? I mean, what, what is the development that mm. Indigenous communities that you, uh, that that call that area home, what do they actually want? And, you know, mm. whether they they were asked actually whether there was free prior and informed consent, right? And you're mm. saying maybe that's not necessarily the case. Mm. But for for communities over there, so okay, so let's just just talk about what uh, Dennis Gao said, right? He said they welcomed it, they benefited from it. You said yes, that's true. Um, you also did say that the problem yes, is, that's true, but that's that's true, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the problem is not only the direct impacts of logging itself, right, but also the way that logging companies conduct themselves. I mean, can you briefly elaborate on what you meant by that? Mm, I think um, again from. From our experience with the communities, uh, they have expressed how much they are left in the dark of of the situation that's happening in uh, Ulubaram when mm. it comes to uh, development projects, when it comes to efforts, uh, when it comes to in- initiative. And I think the one thing that they have always focused on is the fact that where can they get all of this information from? And there are times that we would want to access uh, these details on on the communities. And so, yeah, um, uh, certain, we do have parties that go down and conduct uh, briefing. Uh, but most of the time, um, the briefing is not necessarily a, a sort of like a consultation with the community. It's mostly telling them what is going to happen and therefore, uh, they they should participate in it. But they are also left with uh, not a lot of follow-up documentations. Mm. So I think, again, for our communities, they have expressed so much of uh, being left in the dark when it comes to uh, when it comes to programs, initiative, uh, development uh, uh, efforts that that affect them uh, directly because it's happening in their area. You mm. know, so mm. so I think. 
all in all, they are they are the rightful stakeholders to this knowledge uh, and and understanding of what is happening in their area. So there, so that is where they they are positioning themselves. Like this, what we are asking for is really uh, an understanding of what is happening to our areas, uh, in our areas, and. They are again the rightful stakeholders to all this information. Yeah. So yeah. And when they do, when that consent is not sort of given, or when they don't have the right information, right? I mean, you know, based on history or based on what you've seen, right? What actually happens to the communities? You know, when these sort of uh, development projects come and and they're caught sort of unaware, I suppose. Mm. The, m- one one thing that we have learned, and I think I, I heard this also in your last uh, one of your last session with uh, Shamila, she talked about how at the end it's just the communities have no choice but to just you know um, accept yeah. the reality the situation, and they are left helpless. So in so many ways, when you have conversation with them, and I could so resonate with what she said, was they. Our communities are one of the most resilient, okay? And but yet when they are placed in a situation where where they're they are helpless, you could you could see that in the way that they they narrate the situation, it most of the time is like uh I I don't know what to do, you know, and and uh yeah, it's like that. So but they are still there. They don't see themselves, they don't see themselves moving from the area, you know. It's something that they just have to live with by hook or by crook. And yeah, it's it's very, it's, tra- it's tragic and it's very saddening. And as much as we love going up to Ulubaram, uh, loving Ulubaram also means that we need to understand that these are the experiences of, of our communities, you know, and they are coming to this place where, yeah, uh, you know, whatever, we'll, we'll just accept it and just, mm. you know, and, and, and again, it becomes the burden of the community to adapt. To the to this situation, and it's it's just not fair because it was not something that they uh, they chose to happen to them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and we have been seeing, like you know, people, uh, like for example, on in February, I think uh, February fourteenth, Penan community set up a blockade, right, uh, to prevent logging from taking place in the Ba Abang village uh, of Ulubaram. Am I correct? Um, they demanded that the logging company stop destroying our lands without consent. Um, I believe you know that was something else that uh, Dennis Ngao downplayed, saying it was just you know a very small group mm. of people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but it wasn't just that, was it? No, I mean that is also probably one thing that I can I can provide. Uh, uh, probably another insight to that. Mm-hmm. Yes, Paabang uh, had staged a blockade and a demonstration, but it wasn't just Paabang. Over the years, we have seen many of these communities uh, uh, organizing their own blockades. Right, so we we have documented this. We have we have pictures to show that you know it's not just a small fraction of the communities. You know, and I think when you when you when you bring in, when you start to stack up all of these stories together, you realize it really is the voices from the communities. And I think one thing you need to understand why communities would would uh, resort to this kind of blockade because it is a direct um, a direct action from the communities that showcase uh, uh, their their. Um, I mean. I, I don't know whether I could find a better word, but resistant to to this idea, you know. So, so it's not just Paabang, you know. There there have been a lot of blockades mm. through the years, you know, and that shows something when there are blockades done by different communities in 
better area of Baram itself. Okay. Mm. And is there, um, I, I, guess, I think I sort of asked you this earlier, but if you can just sort of tell us again, you know, what sort of, how the landscape is changing, right? So is there a lot of loss of habitat, you know? I mean, how is that also threatening things like biodiversity in the area, you know, not, and, you know aside from what the community, aside from the communities and their way of life? Mm. Um, I, will, I will probably quote one story that I just heard recently, just because it really captured the sentiment for us. So one of the community members that we met, he actually uh, nostalgically told us the story when he was much younger, when he was probably uh, in eight, seven years old. This man is now in his 60s, right? And he told about like how in their particular village area, they used to have this, I don't know what it's called in English, but seladang, oh, right? Yes, seladang, so, seladang yes, right? Yes, so yes. seladang, does, uh, so the herd of seladang used to come over to the rivers, which is very close to their village. And they would be able to, to really witness this herd of seladang coming over. But they said that the last time he saw that, the herd of Sladang was when he was eight years old. Oh, and this wow. man is in his 60s. So he talked nostalgically about how, how life was. And you want to talk about there is no impact? I, I beg to defer because this kind of story tells us um, uh, things were different. And I know, <laughs> I know there's this myth also that goes around that says that what are the CSOs and NGO want? Do they want our people to go back to the threes, uh, to go back to, you know, to how things were done in the past? But I also want to reiterate that, you know, there are so many things that we're doing. We shouldn't throw the baby with the bathwater, mm-hmm. right? So I feel like, I feel like in so many ways, it, it, we have done that so much already. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying we go back I mean, although some of these practices is amazingly that should be brought to our contemporary mindset because, again, the worldview of the indigenous communities on how they look at resources was never to take, take, take. You know, there was, there's, this princip- uh, there's this principle of, of replenishing, of allowing uh, the ecosystem to replenish itself instead of just capitalizing on every of this resource. So that is such a, a very vital way of us to look at things now because I think we are in our climate crisis just because the way that we have approached natural resources and uh, our environment has always been, I mean, I would say the capitalistic mindset, you know, yeah. and we could learn so much from a lot of this uh, ancestral way of looking at things. So again, I want to come, <laughs> I want to just sort of like uh, bust that myth a little and say that, uh, we don't throw the baby with the bathwater. We also want development. Like um, one of the things that we have praised even our, our, our state government of really just pushing it also was our uh, SARES uh, initiative. Mm-hmm. Because what SARES is, is the Sarawak Rural Electrification System, if, if I got this right. And the reason why 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 SARES works is because it is a, a, a energy supply that uh, it is... Uh, Solar panel energy supply that, that you know, every every community now in, in Baram, we, we have areas that we designate for, for the SARES project. And if you hear from the community, they are praising that that uh, that project. So, again, you're coming, you, what you are saying is that our communities don't want development. No, our communities want development, but it must be a development that they need and they want. It's not something that they were forced to accept or forced to be a part of. And at the end of the day, because of their worldview and the way that they synergically live with the environment, they are really one of our greatest talent even in adapting uh, to climate 
uh, change to mitigating climate change because they are, yeah, they, yeah. So anyways, no, <laughs> as no, much I, as, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, we, we always talk about how indigenous communities are the best guardians, isn't it, of the of the rainforest, or, you know, of those areas, isn't it? Because that that you know, millennia of knowledge, isn't it? Um, yes. And and you know, going back to what you said, we are just doing things so unsustainably. Capitalist society, we cannot have infinite growth on a finite planet. Mm-hmm. That is the basic mm-hmm. crux of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been doing wrong, isn't it? Which is yes. why we find ourselves in the climate crisis. Um, Again, you know, just going back to the assemblyman uh, and, and some... I mean, he has a history of sort of like saying that, you know, the NGOs like like you guys... Because I, re- I was reading back in 2019, he alleged that, you know, activists are preying on the penans, for, for example, you know, going uh, sort of like alluding to what you said that, oh, you guys are saying that, yeah, there's no development or you're taking advantage mm. of um, the, the indigenous communities mm. uh, for your own sort of like um, work, right? But that is clearly not the not the case, is it? Right, right. I mean, I, I what I do hope also in in the fact that, again, we use whatever platform that we can is to really set the, the message across that we are, we are, we want to work with all sectors because again, climate change affects all of us. So one way or another, um, we need to be a part of this discourse. And I will, in my capacity in Safe Rivers, I would always uh, bring up the Indigenous community's role because we have seen how they were able to adapt to the environment, how they were able to really uh, to really uh, sustainably use the natural resource. And we're talking about sustainability, you know, so... So it's it just it just boggles the mind that we talk about sustainability, but yet we really uh, have forfeit our greatest uh, stakeholder, which is again the indigenous communities, you know. And so yeah, I think that's where I would really like to focus on, which is we want to also bring solution to the table, and right. it's kind of hard when we're not invited to the table. <laughs> so. and, and that is something, right? You're not invited to that table. Okay. Yes. All right. So there's there is so again that goes back to the uh, lack of uh, consent and the lack of uh, a voice, right? A, a lack of a sort of a platform for indigenous communities to tell what they actually want. Because as you clearly pointed out with Cyrus, development is welcome, but it must be something that gels mm. with you know the needs and the wants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. All right. So you know, I mean, this <laughs> didn't I didn't mean for this to be an attack on the assemblyman or anything like that. Yeah. But you know, basically to say that. Yes, maybe there are some communities that are are doing all right, yes. but you know it is not across the board. Yes, and uh, there are many things that still need a lot of work when it comes to these issues, right? Mm. Mm. Yes, and in terms of like Save Rivers work, I mean, you guys are on the ground. You are speaking to the communities. I mean, what are some of the, um, I mean, what are some of the stories or some of the messages that you know you'd like to to share from them? You know, especially to like you know folks here in Klang Valley. What is it that they want, or what is it that they're hoping for? Uh I think for our our community, uh, as okay, like, I'm just gonna probably speak on their behalf. Uh, it, they are really one of the most uh, hospitable uh, communities that we would ever find ourselves in, mm-hmm. right? And um, we've we've been able to actually uh, had so much of uh, so much of interaction with even different sectors that we brought in to help with the different parts of our work, like, you know, researchers and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and certain projects. So, so it's so good to just hear even feedback from, from so-called outsiders or, or, or people that come in and go like, you know, there are really so much thing to learn from the communities themselves. So I think is that like, um, if there's anything, I would say just give more platform for my, communities to speak mm-hmm. and to actually 
uh, understand uh, to actually be a a a, a, a listener. Mm. Sometimes they find themselves in in a meeting or or wherever that they at the end of the day um at the end of the day they are not they are not heard, right? So so probably that you'll be more than surprised to actually find how how insightful they are on on a lot of of things, you know. So so I would say that I mean I know sometimes people say that oh uh, I got backward lah some of these people, but. Uh, I also would like to say that these are people that are the most expert. Like even us, we 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 depend on their uh, we depend on their expertise on the ground to actually uh, become a part of our work too. You know, mm-hmm. and it has been very humbling and has been uh, very insightful. So probably is that just giving them more platform to bring up their, their narrative, uh, even though they speak differently from you it doesn't mean that they have no stories to tell mm-hmm. you know so or no information to present so i would say if this was a message to anyone that's outside uh yeah come and see udubaram for yourself and hopefully you would uh fall in love even more with the people there so i don't know i think that would be one of my pitch today <laughs> okay come come and see right i mean that's, uh, yes that's the one exactly. that's the one my favorite Very phrase likely. of all time and you know it is international day of forest of you know a forest tomorrow uh, on mm-hmm. the 21st it's world water day and you know that's the importance of our forest right water it's, it's the basis of our life um any last message you'd like to leave us with you know from save rivers Thank you for having us over and over again, uh, again, uh, for the uh, for again for this platform to just really uh, uh, speak uh, speak our reality. And yeah, I would like to just end with that. That even us as a civil society organization, I uh, I am very hopeful that we will be able to progress even more in our role as a civic a civil society organization. But at the end of the day, um, one thing that we have really learned from our work is. Uh, we we don't represent just ourselves when we speak. Um, we take the time to really uh, listen, and yeah. So we hope that we will be able to actually uh, find out that we're quite a very useful stakeholder and talent in this discourse of uh, climate mitigation. Mm-hmm. So yes, yes. So that's a message out there, you know, a place at the table, right? That is what mm-hmm. we're look, looking for. Well, thank you so much, Celine. Uh, for joining me today. I've been speaking to Celine Lim, Managing Director of Save Rivers. If you'd like to find out more about the work that Save Rivers does, you just need to head to their website. That's saverivers.org. You guys are also on all the social media platforms, I'm sure, right? TikTok mm-hmm. yet? Not yet, TikTok? Not yet. Uh, yeah, I probably need a younger talent. Younger t- <laughs> all right, okay. All right. And do you look for volunteers? I mean, you welcome volunteers and things like uh, that? It will be mostly Sarawak based. Okay. So I guess I guess if there was, yeah, we do have a few things that are, that are in in the pipeline. So yeah, give us a call or something. Okay. So yeah, head to that website. My thanks again to Celine. Um, And if you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.